Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. And O oh Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, our rock, our hope, and our redeemer. Won't you join me in saying, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I ask that you shine a light and think and pray with me on this theme. Prepare the way, no scrooges allowed. And I'd like to read once again and elevate in our hearing a few verses from the gospel text in the third chapter of the book of Matthew, where it says, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, crying out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare the way, no scrooges allowed. This is a wonderful time of year, a wonderful season in the church, our celebrations, our services, our beautiful music, our rituals, all point us to the coming of our Christ. The beauty of the nativity scene, Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, brings up all the cherished memories of Christmas, of Christ, and what we did growing up with family and friends in our churches, in our homes. I love the decorations, all the lights, the time with family and friends, the gatherings, the good food, the energy in the air. It always seems like people are nicer, not always in the traffic, <laughs> where people are giving more during this time of year, perhaps even turning from focusing on ourselves so much and thinking about giving gifts to others, helping those who are in need or who have less. One of the rituals I enjoy during this time of year is watching a live or recorded adaptation of Charles Dickens' novella, A Christmas Carol. As some of you may recall, in it, Dickens portrays a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge is a bitter old man who hates Christmas. He has nothing but negative things to say about the season and really only negative things to say about most anything. As a matter of fact, if he were here today, and heard my positive introductory remarks about Christmas this morning, he would yell out, bah. Oh. <laughs> when Dickens describes Scrooge, he says, the cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and caused him to speak out shrewdly in a grating voice. During the course of the story, Scrooge is visited by three spirits. The ghost of Christmas past, who takes Scrooge back in time to see how his loveless, sad, painful childhood left him. And he then felt the regret and the sadness of that memory. The ghost of Christmas present comes and shows Scrooge his present ways. Mean, selfish, negative, stingy ways 
and throws his, he shows how he throws his negative words about the poor and the destitute back in Scrooge's face and shows him in stark contrast to his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who remains kind even while going through a very difficult and painful time with his son's illness, Tiny Tim. Finally, the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows Scrooge what his hardened heart and his mean ways will lead to. A lonely death, people stealing his possessions, many people thankful that he's gone, and the devastating loss of Cratchit's little boy, Tiny Tim. This last encounter scares Scrooge straight. He begs the third spirit for another chance. He promises to turn from his wicked ways and then he wakes up in bed on Christmas day, overjoyed. He has another chance. So he turns from his bitterness and his meanness. He accepts an invitation to a Christmas dinner. He helps Cratchit and his family and he donates money to charity. In the end, he symbolizes the Christmas spirit and in essence becomes a second father to Tiny Tim. This story of Scrooge has been told again and again for generations because it connects to so many of us. Many who like Scrooge are stuck in their past, living lives in reaction to a sad or hurtful past, not aware of the implications of our actions and our closed hearts. In many ways, this story becomes a cautionary tale for us. It challenges us to look within, to open our eyes and our hearts, and to realize that we can actually live differently. That we can move beyond our past, no matter how hard it was, how sad it was, how many mistakes we may have made, how many things we may have left undone, and move forward with a different attitude, a different outlook, and create a better tomorrow for ourselves and for others. We can look forward with expectancy. In this liturgical season of Advent, this is our time to focus our liturgical spotlight with great anticipation on what our life looks like and what our life can be like in relationship with Jesus Christ. The word Advent is derived from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming. The season is a time of preparation and expectation for the coming celebration of our Lord's nativity and for the final coming of Christ in power and glory. This beautiful season of Advent opens up windows and doors of possibility. It shows us that by reconnecting to our God through Christ, our Savior, we can live beyond our past and into a present filled with hope and expectancy that leads to a life filled with joy, with love, and with peace. That's what John the Baptist comes to tell us today. John the Baptist cries out through the ages to tell us to prepare the way to make room in our in, our hearts, for Christ today. Our gospel text in Matthew refers to Isaiah's prophecy in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. The prophet Isaiah brings a message of hope and forgiveness and comfort in this prophecy to the Jewish people who are in exile 
and in captivity. The Jewish people that Isaiah is speaking to in this prophetic moment have experienced so much loss, pain, and death during the Babylonian captivity that life as they once had known it was completely stripped away. They're left wondering, has God forgotten about them? Where is the God who showed up to Moses in a burning bush? Where is the God who parted the Red Sea? Where is the God who led us with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? He knew that the exile and the wilderness could suppress and in some instances steal their hope, their identity, their voice. So he let them know through this prophetic word that God had not forgotten about them and that God was bringing them a Messiah. That God was making a way even now. So when Isaiah calls out, a voice cries out in the wilderness, it is a voice that is coming to prepare a way. Isaiah's words were not only for the generation that he addresses in that text, but also for us. That text is part of the messianic prophecy that captures all of us up into this wonderful fellowship of believers and is calling us all to cry out to prepare the way. Just as John cries out, Isaiah's prophecy echoes through generations and pushes us, compels us in here today to join with John the Baptist and to cry out. It is no mistake that John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness. You may feel like you are in a wilderness now. This wonderful season of Christmas with all of its joy also brings to bear loss, loss of a loved one, grief, brings to bear our own concerns and melancholy. But I wanna encourage you today as we enter into this Advent moment to cry out, to turn from doubt and distraction to an attitude of expectation and hope. Crying out, as Isaiah says in this text, is done by a voice. He doesn't give the voice a name. It's not limited to a specific person. And that's powerful because it hones in on the power of a voice. A voice can transform the atmosphere and change a society and change the trajectory of a people. A voice can influence mindsets and ethos. A voice can encourage you. A voice can launch a movement, can change norms, can usher in a new normal. A voice can stop injustice and change the focus and compel action toward a positive end. A voice can elevate the needs of others, can advocate for new policies, can stop violence, can provide resources and justice. What shall we cry out with this voice that we have? First, we can cry out our testimony. Our testimony encourages others and encourages ourselves because when we cry out our testimony, we are reminded of the God that we serve. When I think about the goodness of God and all that God has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. Can you share in that testimony? By a show of hands, do you know God to be a healer? 
Do you know God to answer prayers? Do you know God to make a way out of no way? Do you know God to be one that makes things possible that seemed impossible by a show of hands? Do you know God can bring comfort in the midst of discomfort? Do you know God can bring peace in the midst of strife? When we cry out that testimony, we elevate God above circumstance. When we cry out that testimony, we remind ourselves how big our God is and how small our problems are in comparison. Not only must we cry out our testimony to prepare the way, but we must join in and cry out our truth of God, a truth that cries for justice and equity. As Isaiah goes on to say, when we cry out, we call forth and prepare the way for one who makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. This is ultimately a call to create a framework for equity and for justice. When we engage in the work of creating equity and justice in the world and in our communities, we are preparing the way for God to dwell amongst us. In his famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, in August of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. amplified these words and in his dream of a more just America, he said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Prepare the way for God's love and justice to, prepare, to prevail, for the omnipotent God, an all-powerful God, the omnipresent God, a God who never leaves us nor forsake us to dwell. Prepare the way with the cry that says our God is strong and mighty. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable and he gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Our cry ignites our hope. Our crying out pushes us to hope against hope and calls us to expect God to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's a God who works miracles. Do you know that miracles still happen today? I'm coming after your intellectual reasoning mind to encourage you to hope against hope as Abraham did. Stop minimizing the move of God in our very midst and cry out to a God who's able to do the impossible. Not only are we called to cry out by this messianic prophecy, but we're also called as John the Baptist begins his remarks to repent. John the Baptist tells us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance requires us to do as Scrooge had to do, look within and without, to see ourselves, to see if we are who we say we are and if we are who we claim and want to be. Much like the journey that Scrooge went on with the three spirits, it's self-reflective, this journey. 
It prompts us to repent. I know that we want to get lost in the decorations and the parties and the food and the rituals, but to truly get to the meaning of Christmas, the Christ in Christmas, we must set aside our titles, our money, our positions, our self-righteousness, and realize our mistakes, our imperfections, our complicity, our wrongdoings, and confess our sins, turn from our sins. When we do that, sin loses its power. It loses its lordship over us, and we're able to not only acknowledge that Jesus is our savior, but also that Jesus is our Lord. The depth of our connection with Christ is directly linked to our repentance. When we repent, we are making room in our inn. For behold, he's standing at the door and knocking. As Bach reminded us through song today. And when we open that door with repentance, we prepare the way. Repentance is not only about asking for forgiveness or feeling sorrowful in heart, but it is also about turning, moving, stretching forward, not getting stuck in a past that has defined our actions, but stretching toward a present and a future that can be different than our past. Repentance in this text is not only about feeling, but about acting. It's not only about an individual act, but it's also about a collective act. When we collectively in the fellowship of believers repent and turn from our wicked ways on one accord, we not only move forward, but we do so in a way that brings healing to our land. For if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This healing is a restoring of the land, a bringing of peace and security to a people, a community, a church, a city, a state, a nation. When we prepare the way of the Lord, by crying out and by repenting, we become ushers for God to move in powerful ways in, in here and out there. We become ushers for the coming celebration of our Lord's nativity and for the final coming of Christ in power and glory. We usher in hope in the midst of hopelessness. We usher in the light of God in the midst of darkness. We usher in God's peace in the midst of divisiveness and strife. We usher in a joy that the world can't take away. We usher in joy to the world, proclaiming that the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Amen. Amen.